Yes, good afternoon. Welcome to Monday's Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford City. How are you? Hope you had a good weekend. Hope you had a good Monday. My name is Richie Allen. Just told you that. Reach out to me during the programme. There's an app now. There is an app. There's also the website, richieallen.co.uk. It's going to be a good programme, I think, and I think you'll have plenty to say about it, too. Let's do it. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, now you know all about the arena bombing in Manchester back in 2017. In fact, it was May 22nd, 2017. Now, 22 people were killed and hundreds more were injured, all right? Not everybody believes this now. But that's the official version of events. And um, I'm going to be talking to Nick Collerstrom. Now, Nick uh, was on the programme, not for a while, though, several years back, I think, the last time he came on. Nick is an academic. He's a writer and a broadcaster. And he produced an excellent account of what he believes happened on the 7th of July 2005, a book called Terror on the Tube, which I've often referenced on uh, this programme as a must-read. It's excellent. Now, Richard D. Hall is a conspiracy theorist and he is a public speaker and author. And he is being sued by Martin and Eve Hibbert, father, daughter. They were catastrophically injured at the arena bombing. And they claim, uh, do the, the, the uh, father and daughter, that they've effectively been stalked by Richard D. Hall. They've sued him. Uh, that case has begun. And Nick Honorstrom, believe it or not, was actually present. When, um, when, when Hall first went to court earlier this month, early in February. And we're going to talk to Nick about this. And Nick Connorstrom is going to tell me, and he's going to tell you why he believes that Richard D. Hall has a good case. Okay? Right, so that's going to be interesting in any case. Yeah, I talked about this extensively back in May 2017, throughout the rest of that year, really. It got a lot of coverage on the programme. You might remember David Shaler, who worked for MI5, broke a massive story on this programme. Not bragging, but he did. It was accidental. I mean, I didn't have anything to do with it. But he came on and he told us that Salman Abadi, the man they tell us was responsible for the arena bombing back in 2017, that he was none other than the son of Ramadan Abadi. Ramadan Abedi was an MI6 asset and a man that was given the job, basically, of hiring the crew to kill Muammar Gaddafi in the 1980s. So this is an extraordinary story. There are many problems with it. But I certainly don't see eye to eye with Richard D. Hall. But Nick Connorstrom does. I know you'll have your own points. It's going to be an ex- extended, excuse me, conversation with Nick. Plenty of time for you to have your say if you think we're not covering something or if something has been left out. Let me just do that. It's lovely. Yeah, Been fiddling around. Um, had a little bit of... Um, Bit, bit of um, maintenance today and tomorrow. I'll tell you more about that later on. So, so, so Nick Connorstrom, yes, Monday's programme. Okay, let's talk about this then for a minute. They're playing people off against one another, aren't they? Morning, noon and night. It's what they do with their identity politics. Right, the real issue, as I outlined in my mini rant last week, the real issue, governments, MPs doing the exact opposite of advocating on behalf of their constituents or the people they claim to represent. In fact, they harm their constituents. They harm those they are meant to represent. They don't 
they don't work for them. I won't list it again. Don't panic. I did it last week. What they've done, members of parliament, your representative, the lockdowns, right, the wars, the dangerous jabs, the gaslighting of the injured from those dangerous jabs, uh, the climate bollocks, right, and what they're attempting to foist upon us to, you know, to sell us, um, whoring themselves for the military-industrial complex, right, Gaza, the slaughter of tens of thousands of people in Gaza. What do they do? Well, they start culture wars to distract from the real issues. And the real issues are basically a series of symptoms, a series of events to steer humanity down a certain road and down a certain alley, right? So they use puppets like Lee Anderson to make this spurious claim that the Islamists are taking over, okay? Now, the protesters in London this weekend, I believe, and if you think I'm wrong, get in touch with me, I'll facilitate you coming on the programme. The protesters are sickened by the horrors in Gaza and they cannot believe that their government and the opposition will not only not condemn what's happening in Gaza but they're sending material support to it, to Israel and also to Saudi Arabia and probably to a number of tin pot dictators around the world because it's what they do, right? Now people have many reasons to take issue with the pipsqueak Sadiq Khan. He's odious, I know he is. And his plans for London and the clean air zones and ULEs and all of this tyrannical crap. But remember, Sunak is merely the deliverer of that agenda. It isn't his. And this is what is forgotten, you see. And this is why they start these culture wars. And people bite. Jesus, do they bite. The Muslim Council of Great Britain. Islamophobia is everywhere. The Zionists, anti-Semitism is everywhere, playing folks off against one another. And it works. It works. It serves to distract. You get on the media, of course, which laps it up. You hear ridiculous conversations like the one you are about to hear now. Um, A Tory and Labour MP. Do you know I didn't even bother to jot down their names today? I'm so sick of it, I couldn't care less. Which is, a, which is a tad unprofessional. I should tell you who these people are, but I don't know who they are. There are 650 MPs in Westminster. Here's a random Tory and a random Labour MP, and they're talking about Liz Truss and Steve Bannon and Tommy Robinson. This is so ridiculous it almost defies description, but you'll hear the host. Her name is Joe Coburn. Uh, this is BBC Politics Live. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, save us from this madness. Also, Liz Truss, the former Prime Minister, is now. There are calls from Labour for her to lose the whip. I'm going to play you in a moment something from the Conservative political action. So they want the Tories to kick out Liz Truss, right? Why? Conference in the United States, and it's of Liz Truss in conversation with the former Donald Trump <coughs> strategist uh, and right-winger Steve Bannon. And he says, as you will hear, that Tommy Robinson, who is a British and anti-Islam activist, he hails him as a hero. Let's have a listen. Hang on, I don't understand this. The grooming situation, Tommy Robinson, all these heroes fought it. The rape- Tommy Robinson had nothing to do with the grooming, um, you know, the outing of grooming gangs. You know this, I know this. I'm going to say it every time it comes up. 
nothing to do with it. But anyway, let's hear again what O'Bannon says exactly. Trust the former UK Prime Minister and Tory MP is standing right alongside him. So what does he say? Have a listen. Robinson, all these heroes fought it. The rape Tommy Robinson and all these heroes fought it. Situation, and in that community, you're going to have a special election, and you may have a radical jihadist party send somebody to Commons that, after that all that problem. That is correct. Liz Truss did not call that out. Should she have done, Rachel? So I think you're sort of almost holding people to impossibly high standards. Are if, they? If you expect everybody to... to just interrupt somebody in a live situation. I mean, I don't know whether Liz heard what was said. I don't know whether she could, she was, she, she was aware what was said. I don't know what the context was. I mean, we're in a sense we're several steps away mm -hmm. from somebody who is in a situation in a different country. Yeah, but in, in, in she doesn't know who and, Steve and, Bannon and, is and, and, and what he know, represents, and, doesn't she? She should have been alert to what he well, was saying. Yeah, may, maybe maybe she should, but I think mm. if you are now suggesting that anybody who's in a room with somebody making an unacceptable comment, if they don't call that out, they're somehow bad, I, to me... The, it's worse than that. The inferral is, what they are inferring is, if you don't say something about it to, to make it clear that you disagree with it, well, therefore, it's okay for the rest of us to take it that you do agree with it. And this is... Beyond dangerous. I've, I think I've been speaking about this for years. So it's not good enough not to say something. You know, you need to tell everybody where you are. You know, you can't just ignore Steve Bannon. You've got to say, no, 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 no. Tommy Robinson is no hero. In fact, he's just a football hooligan thug, really, is what you're supposed to say, which is bollocks. You should be entitled to say nothing. You know, let Steve O'Bannon share his opinions about people if he likes. You're not there to endorse Bannon or necessarily to disagree with him, not on such a minor point in any case, right? This seems to be... Wait till you hear the Labour MP. ...a degree further than most people would accept That was precisely uh, the attack on Labour mm. for what happened with the Rochdale candidates, right? And so you've got to call out I hate. Don't think so. Anyone in a leadership position, anyone in any party, but Liz Truss, who formerly was the Prime Minister of this country, to hear the words that Tommy Robinson is a hero and to sit there and say it's they're correct. It's not the same at all, Luke, because your candidate himself said those things. Yes, and Steve Bannon said those things next to Liz well, Truss just there. You've said Liz, one's example, right, well, one's well, not. Liz Truss didn't outrageous. say it. That's the difference. They came out of the your candidate's mouth. She was in a room with someone saying something acceptable. You these should two, always call these, out hate but these, wherever it is. The two she things should that, have called out hate there. Please don't interrupt me. You should call out hate wherever it is. Call out hate. How do you do that? How do you do that? How, how could Truss be hateful? by not challenging Bannon when he said Robinson was a hero. And at the end of that clip, when she said that's correct, she wasn't saying it's correct that Tommy Robinson is a hero. She was saying it's correct that you might have an Islamist party and yada, 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 right? But this stuff works, you know. It works. It really does. It, it serves its purpose to distract from what's really happening and, more importantly, why it's really happening. The example, of course, today is... I mean, this is everywhere. It's going to run and run and run and run this for the rest of the week. Let me just bring up the BBC News website. I've just done that. Um, you've had uh, Dawn Butler, Labour MP in Parliament today, shouting across the aisle at Chris Philp, the policing minister, saying that she has to have a bodyguard because of all the Islamophobia being whipped up by the far right in the country. It's all bollocks, of course. There isn't any real problem with Islamophobia, which is a nonsense anyway. It's Orwellian language. What does it really mean? 
You know, there is no issue with hatred of Muslims in the UK, as there is no real issue with hatred of Jews. This is classic, play people off against one another. And look, uncontrolled immigration is a huge problem. And again, you know and I know why they do it. Again, it's divide and conquer. Of course it is. But lots of people in this country who are down on their luck, struggling badly, they talk about these issues and they are referred to thereafter as racists. So it's no wonder that they follow people like Tommy Robinson, the fucker knuckles, football hooligan muppet, right? It's no wonder. Because at least Robinson, as far as they're concerned anyway, is saying, well, what, 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 what it is they think, what it is they feel. And he's not going to call them an Islamophobe or, or a racist. You know, it's, it's quite mind-boggling that people still fall for this. They, they, they do. Shall we leave that one for the moment? Um, no, I'll tell you what, a surprising source on the protests we've seen basically since October 7th, right? We, we've, um, no, I want to stay with this for a minute because I think it's important. I'm editing myself now as I go along. I said we'd get here. I said it years ago. And I did, and the, the recordings are there for anybody who wants to hear them. I said that you will be associated with the positions of people in the room unless you make it clear that you disagree. Silence is violence. And it's a terrible thing. You know, this is the equivalence, or the equivalent, um, or, or a great example of this, is holding Muslims responsible for what happened in Manchester in 2017. Now let's just say, let's pretend that the official version of the arena bombing is the correct one. I don't think it is, to be honest, right? But anyway, let's just pretend it is for a moment. You wouldn't expect Muslims to come out and publicly disavow it, would you? That's terrible. We don't, we don't ask people to do that in a, in a polite and in a fair society. We don't expect Jewish people. We don't expect Jewish people in Cheatham Hill in Manchester to come out on their social media to, to disavow themselves of what Israel is doing in Gaza. You know, we don't, if we don't hear from the Jews or the Muslims, we don't assume that they agree with it. That's absolutely ridiculous. It's never been like that. If somebody stays quiet, we assume they're keeping their counsel. Uh, they have decided to keep their thoughts to themselves as every human being has a right to do. And Liz Truss, as pathetic a human being as Liz Truss is, had a right to stand there while Bannon was spouting his Tommy Robinson bollocks. She had every right to just stand there and wait for him to move on. By not saying anything, nobody has the right to imply that Truss agrees that Tommy Robinson is a hero. And by the way, so what if she does? What? Take the whip from her? Kick her out of her job? Because she likes a guy who's spoken about grooming gangs and, you know, who's spoken about immigration, even if he is an idiot, right? It's mad stuff, this, isn't it? Silence is violence. Silence is compliance. And they're, they're ingraining this in the minds of children. You know this, don't you? You know this. I had an email uh, over the weekend from a lady who wants to come on the programme, so of course I'll facilitate it. Um, she had a letter from her school. Honest to God, I've got the letter here. I'm not going to read it out. I'm going to save it for when we do the programme. She has a letter from her school asking permission for the kids to take part in after-school clubs, which are all about becoming allies for, for lesbian, gay, bisexual and trans people. Now, these are 12 and 13-year-olds. Like, it's like, it's like um, secondary school. So like 13-year-olds, right? Again, the implication couldn't be more obvious. If you don't participate, it will be... It might be. I should say might, to be fair. It might be taken that you've got a problem with LGBTQ plus people. This is mad stuff, 
right? Trust says nothing. Therefore, she agrees with Tommy Fucker Knuckles. No, but, but not necessarily, you know? We saw it on this programme. Guests who were told they would pay the price if they came on the Richie Allen Show, they would be associated with the opinions of other guests. How crazy is that? Don't go on that programme. Why? Well, because of the people he's had on. There's a lovely gentleman called Andrew Barr. Jewish guy. He came on this programme, did Andrew. Lawyer. Nice fella. He might be back again. He sent me a message before he came on. Because, like me, he's shocked by this trend. He read the newspapers about this radio show. And he could just couldn't believe it. Like A, a legal man. Imagine. You could threaten somebody, basically, um, that you'll be destroyed if you go on a programme because oh, he's, had some, he's had some crazy people on. You know, he platformed them. No, I didn't. I, I interviewed them. You platformed them. No, I, I didn't platform them. I'm not promoting them, you fucking idiot. I brought them on because I want to ask them questions. Nick Collerstrom will be on shortly. I have a different view of the arena bombings than Nick does, but I want to hear him. I want to listen to him, what he has to say. I'm not platforming him. I'm not endorsing him in any way, nor anybody else who's ever come on. This is really, really dangerous, this. And it's an idea now, which, it's an idea that the time has come for it, because it's here now. You know, silence is violence. You can't be in a room and just mind your own business. No, no, if somebody says something that society has deemed to be anti-Semitic or xenophobic, you've got to stand up. Well, what about if I don't give a shit and I just keep my opinions to myself? How about that? You won't be allowed. It's the beginning of the social credit system, of course. That's what it's all about, really. They want to know everything you think about everything. They want your thoughts on everything so that you can be disciplined effectively for not having the correct thoughts. I said Orwellian, and that's, you know, I can't think of a better way. I can't think of a better way of describing it. Um, James O'Brien on these Palestinian marches and the idea that they are full of jihadi... Um, Praising lunatics. James O'Brien, LBC. Now, I haven't been on any marches during this window of time, but I've seen a lot of people that have. I normally see them getting off the tube at the other end, at the end of their day's work. And I would struggle to make a demographic generalisation, but middle-aged, middle-class white women, and of course uh, white women can be Muslims too, seem to me to be the ones I'm most likely to see hopping off the tube it was in Twickenham last Saturday where I was um, attending something with my children, um, holding their, 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 their free Palestine banners. The idea that they are Islamist extremists, they looked in part, there was a group of three of them I'm thinking of specifically, like primary school teachers. The idea that they are hate marchers or Islamist extremists or uh, anything of the sort is beyond obnoxious. It's beyond obnoxious. It's deeply, deeply dangerous. Now, I personally think, from my relatively cursory study of his output, that 30 Peely is too stupid to understand what he was dealing with last week. I, I don't think he's the brightest bear in the woods. I stress again, he has similar intellectual capacity to Jacob Rees-Mogg, so please don't think I'm being snobbish. I think they're both as thick as mints, but one of them spent 50 grand a year. One of their dads had 50 grand a year to spend on an education. And in, in our class-obsessed country, it creates the illusion that because somebody knows a few words of Latin, they are, they are intelligent as opposed to simply educated. But Anderson is neither. 
he's neither intelligent nor educated. Well, he doesn't know whether he's educated or not or how intelligent he is or he isn't. In any case, interesting. What else does he say? So he probably believes on some level that Sadiq Khan is a terrorist sympathiser because he lacks the critical thinking. No, he doesn't. What Anderson is in it for the likes. He's in it for the clicks. He's in it for the follows. And he's in it for the continuing job on GB News. Lee Anderson is far from stupid. This is, he's a classic truther now. And truthers will be absolutely screaming abuse at me for, for calling Anderson a truther. But he's classic now. You know, he's playing to his base. He's playing to his audience. He knows there are many, many men and women in London and elsewhere who cannot bear Sadiq Khan. He knows this. He's playing to his base. He's far from stupid, would be my take on Lee Anderson. To arrive at the obviously opposite conclusion. And when he sees the pictures of the marches, he somehow manages not to see middle-aged, middle-class white women holding up free Palestine manners. All he sees is Johnny Jihad. And that is a failure of imagination as well as a failure of integrity. No, it, it, it's, it's important for Anderson to be seen to be on the side of the Zionists. Hence the nonsense about the marches. You know, he's virtue signalling to the Zionist lobby in the UK on the one hand, and on the other hand, he's creating a long career in the media as a right-wing firebrand. Lee, the guy who says it as it is, standing up for the little people. It's all bollocks, but it doesn't matter because it works. It's one of the great paradoxes. You know, nobody pays any attention. To, to people in the inner cities in the UK whose lives are very difficult. Nobody pays them any attention. And as I've already said, and I don't want to repeat myself, at least not on a Monday, but when they ask questions about the, the migration and everything else, they're basically fobbed off as redneck racists, and they're not. So when guys like Lee Anderson come along, and he's a bit more sophisticated now than Tommy the Tit Robinson, right? But these they're embraced because nobody else listens to the people in the inner cities. But they do. So it's difficult for the person who's on the breadline struggling to kind of really understand who Lee Anderson and all of these people are and that they're not really on their side. It's very difficult. And that what's really happening is one big massive blanket is being thrown over what is really going on and who it really benefits and where it's all uh, going in 10, 15 years' time. In fact, even sooner than that. And this is what they're trying to cover up, really. Here's John Kerry, former presidential candidate for the Democrats. These days, he's the outgoing US President's envoy on climate. So here's John Kerry speaking to the BBC Radio 4 Today programme this morning. We have to move faster. We have to move bigger. We're headed still towards about 2.5 degrees. Exactly. And that's what it's all about, right? Expect in the next two to three years proposals by governments to tackle climate change that would have caused riots in the street 15 years ago or even 10 years ago. Ex expect them to come out with all manner of madness about, well, we've got to do far more now than we really thought. And I'm talking about really impacting on the things we can and cannot do. And that is why we have all of this nonsense now. On the, on the one hand, it's real in Gaza. Tens of thousands of people are being killed and displaced. That's absolutely real. But that is being used over here to create this massive culture war, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, jihadis taking over the streets of London and all of that old crap. So in the background, Kerry and his mates and Bill Gates and the rest of them are saying, we've now got to expedite 
the the mitigation of climate change. We've got to do it far more quickly than previously thought, and they'll do it too. Of warming on the planet. That's unacceptable. But when I came into this job three years ago, we were heading towards four degrees, 3.7 or four degrees. So we have advanced the ball. Uh, we just have to get more people to be more serious, to move faster, and treat it with a greater sense of urgency. And is it serious? I suspect you'll get asked this by the parliamentarians you meet here in London. Is it serious to say, as the UK government is now doing, let us develop new oil, new gas fields, they argue, because better to develop it here than simply buy it from abroad. That's right for the economy. And they say it's not incompatible with our climate change goals. But is it serious? It's, it's really important to move faster to transition away from fossil fuel. And to do that, you have to begin to set an example to the rest of the world that there are better alternatives. Now, so some, don't develop new fields. Well, And we're going to be the alternative. Or we're going to be the testing ground for the alternative, you know, to using fossil fuels. Anyway, we'll leave your man there. What's his name again? John Kerry. This is the Richie Allen Show. You know what I've forgotten to do? Um... I've done it now. Thank God for that. Uh, hi to Tim. Hello, Tim. Hi to Mick, who said, she said, you said, I said, we said, kids said Mick. You're right, Mick. It's exactly what it is. But it works, mate, you know. If we don't call out hate, then they want to hate on us. It's mad stuff, says Gaz. Yes. Imagine that. You've got to call out hate. What is hate, exactly? It's not a stupid question. I can define the word without opening the Oxford Concise Dictionary, you know. Uh, good evening to Theodore, who says, Free speech is the freedom to offend. Without it, we are no better than North Korea, however much we deny uh, the fact. That's from Theodore. Thank you. Uh, Ian says, If anybody could identify beyond obnoxious, it should be James Jimmy O'Brien. That's an interesting point. I'll, I'll give you that. Keep your comments coming in. RichieAllen.co.uk is my website. There is an app these days for the Richie Allen Show. Please download it. And as I've said before, if you're living outside the UK and you go to download the app and it tells you it's not available in your country, just use what's known as a virtual private network and you will get one of those for free. Yes, thank you to those of you who have sent me photographs of Jacob Rothschild. I did put a tweet out about it today. Jacob Rothschild of NM Rothschild in London and much more besides has died aged 87, I do believe. And the Truther Industrial Complex went into overdrive in the clickbait gold rush as they always do. Nonsense, really. Obviously a very unpleasant individual from a very unpleasant banking family, but... Uh, he's dead now. But, you know, he might be dead, uh, Jacob Rothschild, but there are plenty of other Rothschilds, just in case, you know. And it's only one financial institution, NM Rothschild. It's only one of many, you know. Okie doke, right. Um, it is 27 minutes past the hour. Let me take a tune. When I come back, more of your comments. And then we'll welcome back Nick Connorstrom to this programme for the first time in a long time. It's been a long time since he was on. <laughs> And I'm looking forward to catching up with him. Uh, this is Lou Rawls. I treat myself to this song every now and then. It's a Monday, I'm treating myself. This is Lady Love on your Richie Allen radio show. Lady Love. Like a warm sun. That's what you do to me, Lady Love. Yeah, Lou Rawls and Lady Love on the Richie Allen show Monday's program. It's me, Richie Allen. 
the 26th of February 2024. It's been a cold day today, but dry and bright. It's been nice. I suppose you could say that. A good evening to Rich Mortimer. Hello, Rich. He says, I bet you enjoyed that cup final, Richie. Lol. Rich, do you pay attention, Rich? I was at Salford yesterday watching Salford Red Devils beat the Tigers of Castleford 26-22 in a thriller at the Salford Community Stadium. In fact, I got in the door just before Liverpool scored their very late extra time winner. Liverpool beating Chelsea in the League Cup yesterday. Doesn't bother me, pal, to be honest. These days, not anymore. Maybe as a younger man, but I just don't care anymore, to be honest. There are far more important things now than the bread and circuses of um, of football. Okay. Before I welcome Nick back to the programme, let me just give a, a little bit of context to why we're talking. Now, if you were listening at the beginning of the programme, I said the official version, which I'm not happy with. I'm going to read you from the Daily Mail. Um, it's about Richard D. Hall. Uh, the Mail says he's written a book called Manchester, The Night of the Bang, which is on sale for a staggering £50 on Amazon. That's neither here nor there. He can charge what he likes uh, for his books. The description for the book, which was published in April 2020, says no images showing evidence of a death in the arena foyer, nor evidence of a serious injury within the arena have been produced. The Mail says, and the official version is, that suicide bomber Salman Abedi detonated his shrapnel-packed homemade device inside the arena on May 22, 2017. Martin and Eve Hibbert, a father and daughter who were left with life-changing injuries from the attack, have brought legal action against Hall for harassment, misuse of private information and data protection. Now, in a landmark legal victory earlier this month, a High Court judge ruled in their favour and basically said, and now I'm ad-libbing, that Richard D. Hall did not have leave to to try and prove that the attack was staged by government agencies. The judge wouldn't allow him to do that. The judge said it's absurd and it is fantastical. Eve, who now wears a wheelchair, or sorry, excuse me, requires a wheelchair, was in hospital for 10 months, suffering brain damage, and her father was badly injured too. They say that Richard D. Hall filmed them um, outside their home, he set up a camera disguised as a fake plant. He harassed them. This is not good enough, and this is the reason they took the case. Now, I've been in this gig for a long time. Before that, I was in another gig, and I've spoken many times over the years to many different people about false flag terror, which is where agencies of the state, the deep state, if you want to call them that, they set off bombs or they don't, in some instances, they create the illusion that a terrorist attack has happened, and they do it because they want to change public opinion. So it's happened over the years. What happened in November, excuse me, what happened in May of 2017? Well, my guest is Nick Connerstrom. Nick is, um, uh, he's, a, he's an academic, Nick. He's a public speaker, a broadcaster, and he's a writer. And I've always um, said, and I, and I maintain it, is that his book, Terror on the Tube, is a brilliant deconstruction of the official version of what happened in 20, 2005, in July 2005, in London, when uh, a terror attack, or at least we were told a terror attack, um, accounted for the deaths of 58 people. And I think he's properly proven in his book, Nick Collistrom, 
that no such thing happened. People certainly did die, but not um, at the hands of the four men who have been accused of it or, or who to this day are believed to have carried it out. Now, Nick Connorstrom was in the court in early February uh, observing the interaction between the judge and Richard D. Hall. And um, after a very long time, it's nice to say, once again, welcome back to the Richie Allen Show. Nick Connorstrom, how are you doing, Nick? Hi, Richie, yeah. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you loud and clear. You're a bit scratchy, so while you're chatting, I'm going to work a little bit. You might be a little bit close to that microphone, actually. What I'm going to do is I'm going to to, um, make one or two minor adjustments here. So... So you were there um, then earlier this month yeah, when the. Can I say, uh, Richie, I fully agree with your summary of events which you just outlined. Um, I'd just like to add, perhaps, that the the charge of harassment made against Richard, uh, all he did was go up uh, five years ago to the door and knock knock on the door or ring the bell where Eve Hibbert was living with her mother, and there was no answer, and he and he walked away, and it happened only once. So that is all he did by way of trying to contact her. And it's extremely absurd to claim that was harassment. Um, and there was, there was why, a camera you, in his car. Why do you say it's absurd, though, Nick? I mean, if you found yourself having to use a wheelchair, and as far as you're concerned, I mean, I'm guessing that Eve Hibbert believes that she was blown up by Salman Abedi. Wouldn't she be entitled to, to think it harassment that a bloke who is a notorious, because he is, Richard, is notorious for making videos and DVDs about every terrorist attack that has happened in recent years. Wouldn't she be entitled to think, well, I am being harassed here, just leave me alone? Well, uh, nobody answered the door. His film didn't see in through any windows. He was in a public space, parked his car on on, on the road. Uh, I mean, that's not intrusion at all. It's a perfectly normal thing that journalists do. Um, And... As regards what Eve thinks, she is bringing this case together with uh, her father against Richard. And it's very odd that she is totally invisible. We've seen no pictures of her since before the blast, actually. Uh, And uh, she hasn't appeared in public at all. Uh, I'm rather puzzled how how she can be a a um, uh, co-producer of this charge against Richard uh, if uh, given that she doesn't appear at all. Uh, we haven't seen any photographs of, um, you know... Can you correct me? Sorry, this... Nick, Nick, sorry, can you correct me if I'm wrong? I believe, now I could be wrong, that she would have appeared on either Good Morning Britain or This Morning on one of the anniversaries in her wheelchair. I'm pretty sure I remember an interview with Eve Hibbert. Oh, OK. Uh, OK, that would have been some years ago then. It would have been three, yeah, three, maybe four years ago, maybe, yeah. Maybe. Right. Oh. maybe. But 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 again, I, I, I look, I, I, I might have to try and produce evidence of oh, that okay. because I, I'm not sure. No, you've got a good memory, Richie, and, and you it's live not in bad, Manchester, yeah. that's what's so important. Yeah. Well, Martin Hibbert has been appearing on TV shows um, lately by himself. Um, and let's just point out that uh, the BBC started a major campaign of harassment against Richard in... 22, a couple of years ago, they did a lot of uh, so-called disaster denier films and and they accused him of, um, you know, this and that and tried to undermine his career, closing down his stall in Martha Tidville and closing down his YouTube channel and getting the media to print various hit pieces against him. Um, And that went on for about a year. And then at the end of that year, Hibbert came forward. Martin Hibbert came forward as the um, the face 
of, of uh, that was going to accuse Richard. And uh, so it was rather late in the day, and it's probably a good couple of years after Richard published his book, which framed Martin Hibbert in this way. Obviously, obviously Richard is, you could say he's defaming various people because he's saying a whole lot of people at the event were crisis actors. Um, and he's saying, actually, that Hibbert, he doesn't think he was there at all at the at the Manchester event. Even though, even though, the, even, even though, book. even though there is CCTV footage of both Martin and Eve, well, there's at least a still image of them. I've seen a still image of both of them. The BBC shared it, so there well, is an well, image the, of them at the arena. Now, look, I know you might there's, say there's, it could there's have an been image taken, of them having yeah. supper beforehand, about six o'clock, an hour or so before the concert. Um, Rich has always said that he hasn't seen any video. You reckon you you've seen one? Yeah, I've definitely seen an image of, in fact, researching this before you came on today, yeah. I've seen an image that is claimed, I'm not claiming this, but it is claimed to be uh, um, Martin and Eve favorite at the concert. So at somewhere within the train station, I believe, there is an image. Now again... At, at the train station? I believe so, yeah. Now, if I turn out to be wrong now, uh, at the earliest opportunity, I will correct myself because I, I right. would expect well, it of I'm everybody else. Yeah. I've never heard that. Um, I'm point out that when you and I originally discussed this a week or two after the event, my book, False Flags Over Europe, its final chapter was of this Manchester event. And obviously there was no mention of Hibbert then because he hadn't appeared. He wasn't part of the story. He's come quite late in the day uh, as, as the main figure. He alleges part of this strange mythos of 22. He's got 22 pieces of, of shrapnel embedded in him uh, and... Um, I think this number 22 is proof, Richard, proof of a constructed event. You know, you've got on the 22nd, at 22 hours, you've got 22 songs get sung, then a 22-year-old terrorist comes and blows up, kills 22 people, and he gets 22 pieces of shrapnel in his, in his back or something, and then the police arrest 22 suspects. So whatever the, the motif, whoever's doing this number symbolism, all, all we can agree on is that this shows a constructed event. You wouldn't get those numbers if it had just happened, would you? Maybe not. Um, I, I would like to come back and explore that. I don't know. I, look, we talked about this back in 2017, and numerologists, people who have studied it, are very interested in, you know, such coincidences. There are people, yeah. who, there are people who agree with you. Um, I've got to correct myself. Um, I didn't see a photograph of Martin and Eve in the arena. You see, I didn't. I apologise, I did not. I saw the same photograph you refer to of them having something to eat before the concert, so I apologise. There, yeah. are, there, yeah. are, there are photographs inside the arena of some of the other victims, um, yeah. but, but right. not them, so apologies for right. that. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's a whole lot of photographs. Let's just explain to people. It's in the, an atrium at the side of the main concert called the City Room, and I would say this was very much prepared scene. And I would say that I agree with Richard that it was filmed at seven o'clock in the morning. A whole lot of people lying down, claiming to be wounded and injured. And then again that evening. And, and the test, the careful testimony that Richard has got of people indicates that security guards, guards closed off that area before uh, Maria Grand had finished her concert. So people couldn't wander out into it. Uh, and it was closed off just before the bang went off. And then after it went off, some, you know, crosses actors with blood and wounds and stuff streamed out into the main 
uh, concert area. So it was a prepared side room, I would say. But Nick, where's the proof of this? Look, you you heard the introduction I gave you. You, you, yeah. you did the most amazing work on the 7th of July, which is the most... I mean, you did it. It was your work. It, the, yeah. Nothing was was more convincing to me than that. I followed every right. one of those trails that you laid out in the book. I double-checked right. every bit of evidence. You were right. on the money. Oh, right, Where, yeah. Where's the evidence that it was staged? You, you're giving me anomalous... You're giving well, me well, anomalies. I, 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 but just I before, just, just before you come back, just before you come back, you're giving me these anomalies, right? And I'm saying, right, they're anomalous. I don't like them either. I don't like the fact that Salman was the son of MI6, Asad, Ramadan, Abedi. I don't like any of this. It doesn't make any sense to me. But I then look at the, very quickly, and I'll let you back in, of course, and you'll have all the time you want. Um, and as you, you've been on this yeah. program before, you know, you'll get all the time you, you, you need. But um, that eight-year-old child and her funeral and her head teacher and her neighbours and the children who went to school with her, that child is dead, Nick. So how did she die? You see, this, this is what I would have said to Richard D. Hall if he had to come on the programme. Long before the, the, the Manchester Arena bombing. You know, you can't convince me without hard hey, evidence. Just tell me, the eight-year-old child, who was this? I'm going to bring it up now. Her name is Saffron. Um, Saffron? Yeah, I'll bring it. Saffron, I think, or Saffron. I'll bring it up um, now in a sec. Just, just bear with me a minute. Um, because I, 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 grabbed some, I grabbed a lot of stuff that came out of the official inquiry, where they basically admitted that the strangest things happened between the police, yeah. between the ambulance service, between the fire service. Some, some unexplainable things went wrong on the night. I'll give you all of that. But let me read you this, right? Um, so this is, this is the BBC 2017. Safi Roussos funeral held, right? So this is the eight-year-old kid who... Um, there is a photograph of um, in the arena... Uh, prior to the concert. This is the kid uh, who was killed. I've got photographs of her funeral here. I've got BBC uh, quotes uh, from her family. You've got her schoolmates, her classmates there. They're not actors, these people, Nick. These are mourners. These are people who knew Safi Roussos. I see Richard E. Hall would have you believe, and maybe you'd have me believe, that this girl never existed, and that her family and her younger brother and everybody at that funeral are liars. But but they're not liars. The the kid existed. The kid is no longer around. She's mourned right. by everybody who knew her, her teachers. Right. Right. So explain that to me. Right. Well, uh, obviously I, I can't, but let me try to answer your initial question. Uh, Rich has done a 400-page book um, which got about 50 five-star reviews before being removed from Amazon. And he gave a detailed analysis of each of the 22 families and concluded that, that, that in each case there was some sort of fabrication went on and there weren't real deaths. Now, I haven't been through all the details of it, but um, I, I generally suspect that that, that that is correct. But I'm hoping to be proved wrong, OK? As well as that, he's done various interviews, in-depth interviews and, and films. And also he has um, gone through all of the uh, CCTV released on this case through the inquiry and, and uh, indexed it all so you can uh, summon it and follow it in sequence to, to, to see what happened as far as it can be shown on that day at, at Manchester. So I think he's produced an enormous amount of, of evidence that we should consider and I'd especially call on any Manchester 
sort of truth group that wants to investigate this to uh, to try and look further in, into the matter. I think what what you have just said, Richie, that that is terribly uh, obviously very crucial, and uh, we, we'd like some any further comments. I think it'd be very valuable. Well, I yeah. I, I think what without having read the book, I can only imagine, right? Um, I'm not paying fifty quid for a book, but that's another issue. But but it, without having read the book, I I guess that Richard D. Hall. I've been around this industry, if you want to call it that, for decades now. Yeah. And R Richard comes across to me as a classic truther. Um, in terms of, I I would imagine there are plenty of suppositions and there are plenty of conclusions in his book about how the people didn't exist or or how they were actors, but I doubt there's any real hard evidence that that any of this, you know, would stand up in, like, in a reasonable court of law. It's a lot of... Look, I, I watched some of his film. I'm the yeah. first to admit that some very strange things went on on that evening, of course, and Richard... So do you believe there was a real terrorist who let me off a bomb? I don't believe that Salman Abedi detonated a bomb on his person. I don't believe that. No, no, he didn't, no. I it don't did believe it. Fireworks. Something went bang in that arena. It didn't have any shrapnel in. It didn't kill anyone. Uh, and uh, it's very important to understand this: that uh, in that in that arena, in, sorry, in the atrium uh, where it, where it went off, uh, there's a glass ceiling and glass windows and glass doors, and they were not damaged. And there was no sign of any shrapnel embedded in the walls at all. So the whole shrapnel story has to be baloney. Uh, and, and something went bang. Can I read That's you? A, can that. I read you a message, and then I'll tell you where what my experience has been with it. And you have every right to disbelieve me. You can call me a liar if you want, but I don't tell lies. Yeah, yeah. It's all I have. The only thing I have going for me, I can't tell lies. Look, before I read the email, um, very good friend of mine. His sister worked at the Royal Infirmary that night. Yeah. Um. Um. And. Yeah, I mean, I've said this many times on this programme. She said that it was a terrible scene, uh, people coming in with terrible injuries. Um, I, I attend rugby league. Um, I, I go and watch Salford. And some years ago, I knew a lovely lad there who is an armed police officer. He's in the armed division. Yeah. Did not attend on the night, had nothing to do with it. He wasn't there, he was off duty. But he said um, his mates did attend and said it was a terrible scene. It was a bad scene. Um, Ian has sent us an email. Richie, I did a lot of work in the Royal Infirmary late 2017. I spoke with clinicians who experienced it on the hospital side. Extent, extremely sensitive subject to them. And I don't know why, I don't know any of them who would have accepted a stage narrative. So Ian has worked with people who attended victims on the night. So where I am, while I've got a huge problem with the official narrative in terms of what we are told to believe happened i am convinced that some people died and some people were terribly injured on the evening now i cannot i cannot speak to how they were injured um yeah. how it happened because i just do not know that but i would yeah. also argue that richard d hall or anybody else they do not know for a fact that a catastrophic explosion did not take place at some stage during the evening because i believe something did happen and and that's all I can go on. Yeah, uh, right. Can I just come back to the... Of course you can. Um, you're you're really the guest. Dying. Go ahead. Uh, I, I appeal for some uh, Manchester group to get together because it, it needs locals in Manchester to go over this. I'll start with uh, deaths are registered at the General Register Office, GRO, uh, and uh, 
of the 22 alleged dead, none of them are yet registered on that uh, on that database. Uh, and that is basically necessary for producing death certificates. Um, uh, and uh, I mean, what I understand is there were no real bodies, de dead bodies, and no, uh, and also no dead body of the alleged terrorist Abadi. This whole story has been constructed without real dead bodies. Now, I'm open to being refuted on this, and uh, I'll be very happy to hear any further discussion. But uh, what I understand is uh, that, that it, it looks like a fabricated event. All the pictures of the atrium that we've seen look like uh, a, a much smaller number, I suppose about 60 injured there, a much smaller number, maybe 10 or 15, lying down on the floor, and no kids, just men, and, and uh, as it were, pretending to be injured. Uh, I, I haven't seen, uh, and, and likewise with 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 the hibbets. I, I don't think their alleged wounds or traumas are at all consistent with uh, w with them having been uh, at the event. Uh, so what I, I what would be in it, Nick? Nick, what, what what would be in it for somebody like Martin Hibbert, um, who has a daughter? Um, I'm pretty sure I did see her on either this morning or Good Morning Britain a few years ago, right? I'm yeah. certain I did actually. Again, yeah. if, if if that turn, I, I'll try and I will I will try and isolate that a video clip. Yeah. It must be around somewhere. But yeah. but what what's in it for them? Why why would you put yourself through that? Why would you? I mean, Martin Hibbert lives in he he lives in a private residence. He's got neighbours. People know who he is. They yeah. they know his daughter. They will remember yeah. what happened on. The, the the night of the of the incident, they will also remember him being in hospital. They will remember his daughter being in conval convalescing for for nine months. Like why well, why would okay, why, Richie, let's remember why would he uh, the, put himself the through that? Has absolutely refused to produce hospital records. It's one thing Richard has requested, uh, showing when he was in hospital, when Martin Hibbert was in hospital. That was that was settled the issue. It had shown that. He went in the hospital after this event. Yeah, but who's uh, Richard D. Hall, Nick? I'm sorry to interrupt you. I mean, if I'm a hospital administrator and yeah. I don't know Richard D. Hall and this guy turns up asking me for records and then I go and look at Richard D. Hall's website and I see that Richard D. Hall effectively makes a living out of denying every terrorist event that ever happened, denying that it happened and selling books on that basis. I, I wouldn't feel remotely obliged to give oh, Richard okay, D. Hall okay. anybody's oh, records, okay, Richard, personally. Yeah, and I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to have a go. I'm not trying to hammer Richard E. Hall. I'm. I'm. You know. I'm. I'm doing my job here. I mean, I wouldn't want yeah. to give him anything. But like, it's none of your business. The records of these people who came in. They're not your business. We don't have to prove to you that these people were not injured. In fact, Nick, I would say to Richard D. Hall, if he had had the courage to come on this program, I would have said to him, "I tell you what, pal, the the burden of proof is on you and you exclusively." How no, dare no, you no, say no, the burden no, 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 is, is on, is on, the, is on uh, the victims? This isn't Go just ahead. about Richard. There's a court case going on, and it's a concern to the British people. All, all of us in this country, we're concerned to find out what happened. And uh, so a, a request for somebody's hospital record to show them at the court, to be produced at a court case, this isn't just about the curiosity of an investigative journalist. I, I, I totally take your point about how... The hospital might not want to give it to a private individual, but I would have thought for a court case, it should be prepared to uh, show these records. And likewise for the CCTV of the arena, which has requested CCTV be released, which they're not releasing, that would show what happened and will settle beyond any doubt the claim of the Hibberts to be present. 
and, and they have not released any such CCTV that shows this. Um, yeah, so, and and uh, and and but we're back to the judge in early February, early this month, refusing Richard Hall leave to try and make the case that it didn't happen. And you're obviously he's he's aggrieved by that. You obviously don't like it. You prefer, but you know, regardless of what happened on the night time, and I have a lot of sympathy with those who say, look, it's it's very, very wrong, th- this official narrative. And I accept this, by the way. And yeah. I know I know the intelligence agencies of this country, of France, of Israel, of the United States, they pull these stunts often. I know this. We know this. Look, we're not idiots. Yeah. We know this yeah. to be true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, but the, the, the false flag, it seems to me that a lot of people have gotten wrapped up in recent years in this notion that nothing happened. And I think you and I butted heads about this over the years, I think. Why, yeah. why, why would you go, if you wanted to change people's minds, we're talking about some of the most evil people imaginable. Why would you go to the you know, trouble of taking a huge risk with using crisis actors when it's much easier to just kill people, Nick? It's easier to kill people. It's easier. To, it's, it is, well, it is that's easier. That's the question. Well, well it is, isn't it? Just come in, go Richard. ahead, go ahead. Um, I want to, you asked the extremely difficult question, what would Martin's Herbert motive be? Well, that's too difficult for me to answer. I, I don't know. But what I would like to say is that he suffered very, over years with awful back trouble. Three years before the event, he was writing on his um, Facebook somewhere, uh, talking about years of pain and tension in my back. And we were then shown a picture, a photo of his back, which has a vertical line and scar of some surgical operation up down the line of his spine. And this was several years before the 2017 event. So he's had some sort of operation, try and cope with his, uh, help his spine. And then a year after the event, we see him on some, ex- uh, 2018, we see him on an exercise machine, uh, working his legs and his back and trying to get them back to normal. His legs are looking a bit thin, but uh, he is able to move them and get back to normal. So it's not evident that any uh, major complete paralysis happened to him on, on, on that date. And on his story, he was walking away from the terrorist when the blast went off. He said, slightly said he was two feet away, then six feet away, then... I think his last account, he said he was 10 metres away. So he was walking some distance away from the terrorist and the the thing went bang. Now, if you want to accept this fictional idea of of shrapnel, which is sometimes put into state fabric of terror events because it sounds so awful, uh, he would have had that in his back. He should have 22 scars in his back. And he hasn't got anything remotely like that. We've shown a picture of his back. It's got maybe one or two, um, say a couple of scars, uh, I mean, he, is, he has been in the wars a bit. We don't know what. Um, him and his daughter, I mean, Rich was wondering if they'd been in some sort of car crash or something. His daughter has suffered some sort of paralysis. Um, we don't know what it is. Let's not speculate. You were, but, Hang on, hang on. You, you were a great academic, Nick. So you know that this is bollocks. You know, you know this is bollocks. You know, I mean, in terms of evidentiary um, legitimacy, it's not really what it is. Is it's Chinese whispers and suppositions and maybes and mites? It's just not good enough to convince. And, and again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I don't know. I wasn't there. 
But to to convince the average reasonable man or woman, it's just yeah. not enough. Like we don't know about his operation, and maybe they're in a car crash. I tell you what, Nick. Maybe a bomb or some explosive device was detonated at the arena and maybe it paralysed that girl. Just maybe. You see, the burden of proof is on Richard Hall and anybody else. And, and, is, and, it? And, is it? Of course. Yeah. Well, of course if, it is. If somebody says they were paralysed at the concert, they haven't got any tickets to show they're a concert, they won't release any hospital records to show they're treated, their back clearly doesn't show the 22 bits of shrapnel they, they said, and they're clearly playing some sort of number game with the way 22 is echoing through the story. They then claim to have 22 bits of shrapnel in them. I, I think the burden is on them to persuade us with this extremely unlikely story. Well, the burden of the state, uh, the burden of proof may very well be on the state. I'll give you that because they use these incidences to change laws, you know, to increase surveillance on people. All of this, I get it, to introduce exotic terrorism prevent strategies which are more surveillance i agree with you nick but yeah. the burden of proof is not on the man who's getting on with his life his daughter and the other victims and i go back again to this beautiful young kid whose funeral i saw live on television i'll be abused for saying this of course because i'll be accused of believing everything i see on telly but i saw the teachers the friends the the the, the family of this young girl yeah and um, this girl existed and she exists no more, Nick. You is know, it, who is this? This is the young is kid, the, the Safi Roussos. Eight-year-old, all right. Yeah, who was eight or six at the time, right? You see, so so Richard D. Hall has got to prove that this girl doesn't exist. You can't just say things like this in a book. And he hasn't done that. And I'll tell you... Well, the maybe... Go on, go yeah, ahead. Uh, uh, okay, well, he said... I'll tell you what he told me. Of 22 uh, alleged deaths, he said most of them went abroad... America or wherever. Has he any proof, Nick? Has he any proof? Previously but where's already? the proof, Nick? I c anybody can say this. We saw no, this with Alex Jones. He's written a 400-page book yeah, about he, it. Of course he has. I could write a book about it, Nick. I could write a book saying that I'm Santa Claus. But I don't have any proof that I'm Santa Claus, you know? I'm sure I could convince some of my listeners that I am Santa Claus. And I'm not being stupid or childish when I say this. He's made a lot of claims in his book, which he does. He's the type of guy who does it. But he didn't do what you did, Nick. And, and, and it's kind of ironic that you're defending the guy because yeah. you wrote a book that is a, a masterpiece of forensic analysis. Everything you say in Terror on the Tube is backed up by documentation and right, facts. Right. Richard D. Hall, bit of a celebrity truther. Uh, Madeleine McCann was never kidnapped. Uh, uh, this never happened. Yeah, I'd like some proof, Richard. Give me some heart. And I'll tell you something else, Nick, and then I will shut up and get out of your way. The only way a guy like Richard D. Hall is ever going to prove it without hearsay and footsteps in the night and all of this stuff, is if he brings forward a crisis actor who was there and who took part in it. Failing that, even if the guy is right, you know, he's going to struggle to convince people. And I understand why the judge said, listen, I'm not having a circus here now with you coming in here trying to tell me it never happened. Because it's absurd. I think the judge said absurd. You're not going to be able to prove it didn't happen. I can see these people were injured. You know, I've so, so, um, Let's just deal with the harassment. So I totally understand that. My listeners won't appreciate me saying that. Anyway, Sorry, come, what, come what back in. What do you understand about the harassment? Uh, I'm uh, quite follow you. Because we, I think we still fundamentally disagree on the point we came in on. You said that, you know, public space, Richard D. Hall filming. I, I argue that if you're paralysed from the waist down, you're using a wheelchair. And this has happened to you when you went to a concert. 
some bloke who has a reputation for making videos about terrorist attacks. It, 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 it's absolutely understandable why she and why her father would think they were being harassed by him. Why? 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 Why were they thinking that? Well, you imagine if you were in, um, you went to see Simon and Garfunkel next week in the Apollo. Yeah, he hasn't seen her. No, hang he on, hang on, hang on a second, hang on, hang on a second, hang on a second. You, you, you've been to a concert in London. There's been an explosion and you lose an arm. A bloke starts turning up taking photographs of you because he doesn't believe it happened and that no, you're he a didn't lawyer. Take photographs of her. Come on, Richard. Well, he filmed her, didn't he? No, he didn't. He did. <laughs> I think he's admitted filming her. Um, but well, you, he, hang on, he hang on. I've got a quote. I've, I, I left a camera a rolling in the van. Might, might have an image of her and he hasn't shown it at all to anybody. And you don't think, you don't think that she's entitled to feel that this is tantamount to stalking? You don't believe that? Because I it think it is. Once. No, well, no. I mean, it, oh, come on. It, it, it's, not, it's not as if you're peering through somebody's window. Um it's just, it's what the media do all the time. I, I thought it was a normal business thing a journalist does, isn't it? I, I don't know about peering through windows, doorstepping people, yes, but a child or a young woman who's been paralysed after yeah. going to a concert to be following her around. He didn't yeah. follow her around. Well, he's admitted it. He's outside her house, Nick. Well, just once, five years ago, he knocked on a door and went away. But he came back, didn't he? And, and, and the fact that he saw she was using a wheelchair and then he goes online and he says, well, there's no evidence the injury was from the bombing. I mean, at, at some point, like, cut your losses. You know, Richard D. Hall, try, try and, and prove what you can prove. And I would argue then, you, you know, leave people like that alone. But he hasn't done. They've gone after him. And here's a question for you. If these people are faking it, why go after Richard D. Hall for harassing them? Why would they do that? If they are because faking, if they're part of some wider conspiracy. Thorough, uh, a lot of evidence in the public domain. That is why they were annoyed at him. Yeah, but so if he was... Put, he put various videos up interviewing people about what happened. Um, but they don't go uh, anywhere. That, do that has annoyed the establishment. I do you think, think so? But that, that would imply then that Richard D. Hall is um, a household name in the UK and that you know, he, he, he could blow the lid off the whole thing. When that's not true, Richard D. Hall is one of a number of, you know, guys that have been around the block a thousand times that make videos about all of these terrorist attacks. I don't believe for a minute that Richard D. Hall presents any threat to the establishment, which makes it bizarre for me that okay. if, if Martin Hibbert is an actor... That well, he would tell me, why did the BBC start on disaster trials and they made him a main target of attacking? Well, well, was, why did they do that? It's he, before the Hibberts had turned yeah, up. Yeah, he was one of several people they've gone after. You know they've gone after every one of us, Nick. You know that he's not exclusive, Richard Over D. Hall. Yeah. Over the years, they have, yeah. I mean, they went after this programme for anti-Semitism. Then they went after it for talking about uh, climate lockdowns and stuff. It's what they do. We've all been in the papers. Yeah, we have, yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't imagine that they see Richard as any particular threat. Um, but, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they do. But, but my fundamental point remains, he hasn't proven, he hasn't proven that nothing happened at the arena. He hasn't. Oh, you can't prove a negative thing. Uh, of course. What he's done is given a, a coherent, credible narrative of what he thinks happened, uh, which many of us feel is more credible than the government story. That um, the, the, the terrorists, uh, as you, you yourself said, he was known to authorities. David Shaler r revealed that his father was involved in a Gaddafi plot. Yeah. 
In these fabricated events, the patsy is always known to the authorities. That's always. an iron rule. And uh, Richard has shown how he very likely got out of this car, great Audi, just before the event, then went into the atrium, dumped his dumped his bag uh, in, in, in the atrium, and then went out and got back into that car again and tried to drive off and was then stopped by some police who may not have realised what was going on uh, and seemed to have arrest, arrested him. So it wasn't a suicide event. He came in, came up the lift, came into the atrium and then left later on after dumping his rucksack. That is a, a credible sort of narrative um, and explains why they haven't got a body which, 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 which to, 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 to show. Um, let me I mean, let me remind our listeners, it's Nick Cornerstrom on the programme today, academic writer, um, wrote Terror on the Tube, which is an outstanding account of the stitch-up that was the 7th of July bombings. I mean, it really is. It's basically the, the, the go-to read on what happened in, in July 2005. I want to read a few comments. Um, this is from Robbie. Problem is, people can't believe that the government can do such things but the government does do such things and are doing them, says Robert, in support of what you've been saying. Nick Gaz says, uh, Tobias Elwood was allowed to give aid to a dying man on Westminster Bridge whilst the paramedics watched. His brother his brother was killed in the Bali bomb. It's a small world, A says Gaz, who thinks that's an outrageous coincidence. And he, oh, might, yeah. and he might be right. He might be right. Lester says, I haven't read Richard's book. Um, and even though I don't agree with what he says all the time, uh, to be fair, most of his stuff is available free to download. People should make their own minds up. And I would say that to my listeners, of course. Do go to Richard D. Hall's website, read the, read the, excuse me, watch the video. By all means, make your own mind up. I'll never tell anybody what's right, what's wrong or what to think. Gary says, a work colleague um, of mine, a mum, had two daughters who sustained injuries on the night. That's from Gary. So Gary works with a woman and two of her daughters uh, were injured on the night, says Gary. Right. So that's just a scary, right? Okay. Um, um, this is from Brian. Uh, perhaps people like Martin Hibbert were involved in an accident, um, terribly injuring their child. Maybe he wasn't insured or was maybe on um, some sort of substance. Instead of being prosecuted, maybe somebody like him is given another option. It's a possibility, says Brian. That's a yeah. wonderful imagination Brian has. I'm not knocking Brian, but I mean, I'm not buying that, to be honest. But anyway, look, it's an interesting comment. This is from Joe. Um, do you reckon um, Nick has gotten a discount on Richard D. Hall's book? Maybe that's why it's 50 quid, says, uh, says Joe. And this one is from John, who says, Richard's book has been available for free in PDF from his website. Yeah. Soon after the BBC started their disaster troll series so yeah. to be fair to richard says john his book is available to read free on his website thank you nick i'm fair nick collerson i'm fair this is the fairest radio show you'll ever be on i'm always fair i might disagree hey, with hey, you listen, i'll you give you plenty out, of time i'm just on, on his book pdf can you spell out the eight-year-old child saffron i know him yeah it is um, how do i spell it let me just bring it up for you now again uh, Safi Russo, so it's S Sierra Alpha Foxtrot Foxtrot Indigo Echo, Safi, and then Russo is Romeo Oscar Umbrella Sierra Sierra Oscar Sierra, so Safi Russo. 
and the funeral was a massive big deal. All the TV news, you know, networks, they were all Safi. there. Safi. Sa yeah. Sorry, sorry, Safi. Nothing on Safi. Can you just give me a surname again? Yeah, Rusos. Russo. Rusos. So Romeo, Oscar, Umbrella, Sierra, Sierra, Oscar, Sierra. Rusos. Her father. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Her father, yeah, yeah. Her father gave the eulogy. Her father gave yeah. the dedication. Andrew. Yeah, she's done 68 times, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. This was a real kid. Like, this This girl existed. Yeah. And, and her family are real people. Her neighbours, her schoolmates, the, 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 the principal who was devastated uh, speaking to Sky News a couple of days after it was revealed that the kid had died. Yeah. You know, and, and th this would be the question. But, but I don't know Richard D. Hall, you see. So I don't know... I don't know how much of an investigator he really is. I know he's not a journalist. I know he isn't a proper journalist. Yeah. You know, he's a citizen journalist or he's an amateur journalist. But has he tried to speak to anybody who worked in the infirmary on the night? You know, has he approached them? And here's the thing about people like Richard D. Hall and every other documentary filmmaker. Their films are always subjective, Nick. You know, he's yeah. reached a conclusion before he's decided to make his film. He's already decided that the whole thing was a hoax. So what, what has Richard D. Hall not included in his final two-hour film? You see, th these are questions for Richard D. Hall, but he's not here to answer them. You know, did he exclude yeah. evidence from his, from his films that would um, indicate that maybe some people did die or were hurt? Because I am convinced. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, convinced can I just people urge, uh, urge readers, anyone who wants to investigate this, the Manchester group that, that I, I hope will come into existence, l look up R Rousseau. Uh, there's about 60 references in this online, uh, nice of the bang, it's, it's a PDF online, uh, and it's in-depth discussion of the family and what may have happened to her, um, which I'm not going to try and, I'm not able to try and su summarise, but uh, there is a very detailed evaluation in, in, in Richard's book about what may have happened to her. So um, uh, let me just put that out. That, uh, do, do put it out, but, but, but can I ask you, when you say detailed evaluation, can you, can you, can you expand on that? When you say detailed evaluation, is it just Richard sharing his opinion or does he have verifiable, knowledgeable well, people who've worked? It's all about interviews he's done, been done with, with the family and so on. Right, um, so what you're telling me, sorry Nick, what you're telling me is Richard has watched the interviews and then Richard has determined for himself what's really going on and he's shared it in his book. Nick, that is simply opinion, nothing more, nothing, nothing less. It's not proof, Nick. You need to have proof. You have to no, have proof. Up to, up to listeners, if they want to, I, I recommend might be worth checking checking over what the content of what Richard's absolutely by all means, one hundred percent people should read it. But but you've confirmed to me that what Richard has done is put down on four hundred pages how he sees it based on his observations of the interviews. But that is not forensic; it's not scientific, and it isn't good investigative journalism. It's an opinion piece, and he's yeah. entitled to it. And I'm going to say it again in case people didn't hear me say it. I'm not saying Richard D. Hall is wrong because I don't know he's wrong. I don't agree with him because I know a nurse who worked in the infirmary on the night. I know her personally. Yeah. The scene was chaos. People, um, came, people came in with terrible injuries, Nick. She died. So Safi died in the hospital, not in the arena foyer. Um, uh, and he's suggesting Safi might fit the category previously deceased victim. But, but, but where's the proof, Nick? 
She well, might fit the country of a previously deceased look, I, victim. I'm not capable of going into the, the detail, Richard, but please don't ask me to. I've just said that I, I, I recommend a fairly detailed analysis. I'm not trying good. to wind you up, Nick. I, I, look, you've got a brain the size of the moon. I want you to acknowledge that I'm right. This is, whether Richard is right or wrong, is irrelevant. Yeah. It's irrelevant. It's his judgment. It's a judgment, yeah. Exactly. With, with, without any concrete evidence that would stand up in court. It's like, oh, look at that girl there. She appears to be speaking a bit weirdly. Well, holy Jesus. You know, you could listen to a radio show from me yesterday. I spoke a bit weirdly, Nick. You might say I was bullshitting or I was, you know, yesterday's programme was a false flag event. I don't know. It just, I think it just does no good to the independent media, to be honest. I yeah. mean, if, if Richard D. Hall did what you did, you're a shining example of it and say, there's something very wrong with this. Let's start asking questions. But yeah. accusing people of being crisis actors or, or pre-deceased without any proof is just bollocks, Nick. I'm sorry, in my opinion. Go oh, ahead. Okay. That's just my opinion. They're like arseholes. Everybody's got one. I could be wrong. And, and listen, I absolutely agree with you. The official version of 2017, May 22nd, is bollocks. We know it yeah. is. Well, it it's, makes it's, no uh, sense. To get to the bottom of what happened in these things, Richie, uh, I always feel it's that the details that uh, count. G get to the uh, as yeah. a detailed account as you can of the different parts of the story and try and put them together. Um, for, for example, Eve, Eve's mother, uh, Richard Panach, she's called Sarah Gilbard. That's the, the, the partner of uh, Hibbert. Uh, she had quite an extensive Facebook page in 2017, and it, it didn't mention Eve at all. It didn't mention, oh, my daughter claims she had a, a bolt go right through her head. Um, uh, and uh, this seems rather strange that it wasn't on the Facebook page. I agree. Um, uh, and uh, anyway, I, I suggest it's worth checking out, looking at this sort of thing. I mean, the account that Martin has given of a bolt going right through a daughter's head in one side of the skull and out the other... That, that is not very credible, you know, um, except she's had some sort of industry, accident, but I don't think a bolt going in one side of the sky and out the other is, is very credible. No, it um, might not be, but you, I think you'd agree if we were to experience something like they believe or we think they believe they experienced, I imagine it's chaos, Nick. I imagine it's terror, it's genuine you know, absolute pandemonium. And who remembers exactly what happened and when? That's all well, I'm she's saying. she's been through some sort of trauma. We accept yeah. that, yeah. Um, and the Hibberts only came on very late in the day. Uh, after the BBC had been hounding Richard for a year, the Hibberts were sort of produced. Um, and uh, I think the question of what the starting point, I would say a starting point is the fact that there, there was no shrapnel in that bomb. Uh, and we've been over that, that uh, the, the glass... The glass all around that room was not damaged. Wasn't damaged. I saw that footage and it baffles me just as much as it baffles you. And I'd love to be able to ask the questions that you're asking to the people who were responsible for security at the arena, but also the architects of the building. I'd love yeah. to speak to them as well. Yeah. And sad, sadly, this is the problem we have, Nick. We're here, you and me, tonight because the BBC, ITV, ITN, Channel 4, they took that garbage they were given by the government and by the authorities in Manchester and they said, yeah. no problems, thank you man, we're not asking any questions. That's the yeah. problem. I, I, I agree these are very strange anomalies and they should be investigated. Of right. course they should. But there are ways yeah. of doing it and trying to, 
I don't know, this idea, what happened to the independent media? Um, like, it seems that whenever something goes down now, it seems that everybody jumps on from the get-go with exactly. the idea... That's so important, Richie, what you just said. What happened to the independent media? I mean, all these odd bits that we get given need to be discussed and taken apart by yeah. critical independent journalists and people in pubs discussing them. For example, the terrorist... Uh, bombs bomb supposed to go off. Oh, he had TATP. Now, that's a standard all-purpose uh, explosive that's used in these government-fabricated narrative stories, uh, as if he could, in his bath, mix yeah. up acetone and sulfuric acid and hydrogen peroxide. Well, you can't, really. That's quite advanced chemical procedure, and it isn't going to work, uh, and uh, he'd need to keep it in a fridge, uh, and uh, it doesn't have any bright flash, uh, when it goes bang, it's a pure blast effect. And whereas if people did see a bright flash when this uh, firework thing went off. So yeah. uh, so the narrative of, of this terrorist making his own TATP... Um, I'll tell you is... something else you didn't know. I'll tell you something else you didn't know. Well, I'm not saying you don't know anything. You know plenty, but I'll tell you something that, else you didn't know. Um, I lived on Caxton Road in Fallowfield. I, yeah. lived, I lived about seven streets down from where... Salman Salman Abedi was supposed to have lived, and yeah. not long after, right. not long afterwards, um, for the Richie Allen show, they wouldn't be interviewed on on um, they wouldn't let me record them, but I knew yeah. I knew there were Libyans living in the area. In fact, when right. I when I had hair a long time ago, Nick, when I had a, a full head of vibrant hair, a Libyan guy used to cut my hair there. So what, right. I, what, what, huh. I, what, what I what what I I did was I went I obviously went up there. It's what any half decent journalist would do, and I spoke to some of these Libyan people, and I said, "Well, are you buying it? Are you buying it that Salman um, went to Syria and came back and made a bomb?" And the very first thing that came out of the first guy's mouth was bollocks, <laughs> bollocks. The guy said, "He said no. He said he wasn't political." He wasn't um, agitated about stuff. He wasn't uh, yeah. a revolutionary. There was really none of that, really. That's so that's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, Richie, your your opinion is, in a way, one of the most important. About uh, that's what not happened. really. You are in a very central, excellent position to judge and evaluate this event. Let, let me stress that. Well, I can't think for the life of me why my friend's sister would lie about, um, and, and these were people we knew for several years. I can't imagine why she would lie about being... She was called in, believe it or not, because of what happened. And yeah. she said she saw some bad stuff, some very bad injuries she saw. And, yeah. I, and I said to her, like, like what? She said, you know, there was a couple of young kids there. There was a man um, that she treated, triaged, I think, and had a massive chunk out of one of his arms. A lot of blood, like, a lot of blood loss. Wow. So, so as far as she was concerned, you know, I mean, it could have been... This could have been a row in Piccadilly, it could have been around Piccadilly Gardens, it could have been around somewhere in the city, it could have been a, a football hooligans kicking bells out of one another, but she was listening to the radio on the way into work, there's been a, you know, a big incident, she gets in there, there are people there, they're treating them, and they're telling her, yeah, was that the Ariana Grande concert? Mm -hmm. And she, that's her story, Nick. Wow. You know, and then we, we had Gary earlier, whose um, workmate is a mum who had two kids at the concert, two teenagers, and they had minor injuries. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I'm left with believing that something did happen there. Right. But again, I, I, like you, I'm at a loss then to explain 
the lack of any damage to the sides of the building, the glass. I can't get my head around that. And here's something yeah. else that I don't like. This crazy video, which was published by The Sun, of this man filming himself crying. This guy who oh, yeah. films yeah. himself. And he's moaning and mumbling. And while he's doing that, you can clearly hear people walking around him who seem to be having a good time. Yeah. And that is absolutely bizarre. I can't get my head around that. Well, he's just a crisis actor, that's all. Yeah, because who, who, if they're terrified, who decides, I'm terrified, something has happened, I know what I'll do, I'll film myself crying. That, that, I mean, that is obscene. I, I can't get my head around it. And I talked about this back in 2017. Yeah. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm at a loss. It is the most, it's one of the most bizarre things that I've ever broadcast on, reported on as a journalist. Yeah. It's mental. None of it makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah. And yet I believe they did hurt people there. And by yeah, they, also, I don't, I don't know who um, they is. The case of, of Ruth Morell, uh, who, who was a, a prominent character in this atrium where the bomb was supposed to have gone off. And we're told she has uh, nuts and bolts going right through her leg. And then um, there's film taken. Somebody came in and took some very clear film of that uh, of that room, showing her walking normally with um, a sort of bandage and a sort of blood stain on her leg. But the fact is, she was walking quite normally. Yeah. So the whole story of her having nuts and bolts going through her leg must have been uh, a totally fictitious. Now, if you've got one crisis actor like that, you can show definitely it's a crisis actor. Does not that show that the whole thing was set up, a set up event? It, it don't, I, I would it, say that it does, really. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't say 100%, but can there not be a hybrid such event? I, I'll be laughed out of town for saying this. Yeah, well, but that's can, what we but, wonder. But, but can they it's not do both, isn't it? If you employ crisis actors, uh, they tend to want to be reassured that now bomb's going to go off. Yeah. But yeah. You, you, you proved beyond a reasonable doubt what they did to Mohammed Sadiq Khan and his mates and how they lured them to London. Yeah. You know? And maybe in London, where we know lots of people did die, maybe yeah. in Lo maybe in London some of those people, not, sorry, I don't mean some of those people who were injured, but maybe there were crisis actors hanging around that maybe. I don't know. There, there were, yeah, there were stories of crisis actors hanging around then. Just to give everyone the, the difference of opinion, what Rich and I are debating this terrible issue, my position is that initially, beginning of the century, St. Fabricator had absolutely real deaths, like 9-11, and the London bombing, 2005, the Madrid bombing, 2004, uh, horrible, you, you know, violent deaths, uh, but, but, but it was state fabricated by hidden, hidden, hidden hands. Um, whereas later, around 2012 and afterwards, it transitioned into, into, into theatrical acts done with actors and dummies and fake blood. And this is much cheaper as advantage that you don't have uh, some families tracking you forever. Uh, for their, 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 their lost ones. It's risky, um, though, Nick. It's very risky. So th this is the enormously important... If we accept that state-fabricated terror is going on... Which it is. And in my book, my book, False Flags of Europe, I describe this mansion event as the great culmination of a terrific sequence of state-fabricated all uh, which blamed on Muslims, falsely blamed on Muslims, that went all, all through Europe... Uh, this was like somehow the great culmination. And after this, the enemy abruptly changed. We had 
the COVID and we had, then it was the Russians, big bad Russians in the next year, 2018. So the enemy suddenly changed. So this was the culmination of safe open terror. And it's terribly important for us to try and evaluate. This is what the anguish question, which Rich and I are here discussing. Uh, did people really die? Were there real in injuries? Um, and is Richard helping with his narrative or has he got it badly wrong? You know, well, I'll tell you what he does. This is the he has every issue we are, we are discussing. Yeah. And any local Manchester people uh, wanting to get together, you're in a position to be able to find out the details of this. Richard D. Uh, Hall has every great help to all of us if you can. Richard D. Hall has every right to um, investigate whatever he chooses. He has every right to write books. He has every right to make films. And he has every right to his opinion. And just in yeah. case there are people listening to me for the first time tonight, I am not, not now, not ever. Um, I am a free speech absolutist. I do not believe that Richard Hall should go to prison. Whatever the judge decides on the yeah. harassment case, he should not be in jail at yeah. all. And, and he should be able to, if he believes that it is an event where nobody died, he should be entitled to say that. Absolutely, 100%. Right. I would never. Jesus, this is the Richie Allen show. Christ, we talk about everything. Uh, there's no taboo on this program. And, um, so, so I, I, and I have nothing against him. I've never met the guy. Uh, but the, the methodology is something I question, but that's you know about the size of it. Let me read some more of these messages, Nick. Right. Uh, by the way, it's terrorontheTube.com. Nick Collerstrom. Um, get on to Nick's dot website. .co.uk. Excuse me, .co.uk. TerrorontheTube.co.uk. Yeah. Don says they wouldn't find a body if, indeed, um, Salman Abedi was carrying a bomb. It would have almost vaporised. That's what he says. We'll come back to that. Alice said, read Nick's book. Um, excellent read. That's your book, Nick. Uh, uh, certainly raises questions, says Alice. Thank you, Alice. Simon is listening. Great discussion, Richie. I, I think the truth lies in between. We certainly were not told the true story. Nick Collistrom is an awesome guest and I love listening to his lectures. Um, <laughs> I, I've met Richard, says Simon. He is a nice bloke. Most of his stuff on the Manchester bombing was from a YouTube he did um, expanding on it and the Peter Hyatt style analysis was good, said Simon. Thank you, Simon. So we're getting a great mix um, from people on the programme today. Uh, this is from Mark Davies. Thank you, Mark. He says, I'm talking too much, Nick. I should give you more of the floor, he's telling me. Uh, Mark Davies. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Um, if you feel you're not getting enough of a say, Nick, tell me and I'll make sure you get more of a say. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, what's so important is that you are in a position to judge what happened here um, in a way, possibly better than any, anyone else, you know. Uh, and and uh, I don't think I, so. I, I hope this discussion will continue. Uh, and uh, we, the people of England, want to know what happened. It's not just whether some guy should get prosecuted. It's if we're at the tail end of our whole massive sequence of state fabricated terror events, uh, we, 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 we damn well want to have honest people analysing what happened and whether people were really injured uh, or whether some secret operation was set up to deceive us all, just to create fear. That, that is the big question yeah. that we're all facing, and it concerns every one of us. Um, I mean, I would say for state fabricated terror, the victims are us. We, the people, who get hit by this terrible story of what didn't happen uh, and which undermines and destroys our faith in our fellow men. The, 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 we, are, we are the victims and uh, we need to um, take action. This whole thing, the sequence, Fabio, won't stop until the people realise how they're being played. Uh, and and, and, uh, and, and uh, 
sort of take action. I, I mean, uh, Salman Abadi is presumably still alive. I guess he's back in Libya. Um, and uh, his brother, they got his brother instead <laughs> and, and tried him. That's right. He was 22-year-olds when, when the trial took place and he, he was found guilty on the 22nd of whatever. What, Nick, um, Nick, Nick, what is it with the number 22? For listeners who don't understand the relevance, yeah. do you want to try and explain it? Well, sure, yeah, that's quite straightforward. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, uh, 22 tarot cards, and if you look at the tree of life, the Kabbalistic tree of life, there's 22 pathways on the Kabbalistic tree of life. So I think it's got fairly heavy Hebrew symbolism, uh, Kabbalistic Hebrew symbolism, the, the number 22. Uh, and uh, if you look at the, they're about to build a big Holocaust memorial uh, sort of temple in London next to the House of Commons. And that is based on the number 22. You'll see there's 22 spaces, and they say it's to do with the 22 countries where suffered from the Holocaust and whatever. So it's a number that is full of kind of symbolism. Uh, and very often in um, uh, state fabricated events, you get uh, the number 22 turning up. Um, uh, and uh, Is there another obvious example of that? Well, yeah, the... Um, the, the whole sequence of um, uh, of uh, I go through it. <laughs> no, no. In terms in terms of another event, so was there oh, another yeah, just event? Before, uh, the, the London attack, Westminster Bridge, the same year was the twenty second of uh, March. Uh, uh, Munich, previous year, twenty second of July. Brussels attack, twenty second of March, two thousand sixteen. The, the Woolwich attack, that's Drummer Lee Rigby, twenty second of May, two thousand thirteen. Norway, that's that island, dreadful massacre on the island, 22 of July 2011. Brave, um, wasn't it? Yeah. So, so they do pick that, that number. It keeps thrumming through state fabricated terror. Um, it's one, and, it's uh, one hell of a coincidence, that, isn't it? No one else quite know what this but number not. symbolism is, but it's certainly there. It is really there. It's, it's more to do with the occult, isn't it? Um, I've, yeah. I've, I've, um, I know there are people who are pretty, who, who like researching that. Um, my old mate David Icke has done a lot of work on that over the years, on especially in his early books. So that yeah. that, that is interesting. Nick, um, question Sorry. question for you, because you have come to believe that the state fabricated events were killing people in the early twenty first century, but yeah. then you said you think there's been a change of tack. Yeah. Um, are you? Is that something you have to keep an eye on, that you have to keep an open mind? and well, not, yeah, it's, not always, for, it's always yeah. very important. Yeah. You get, in America, you have Sandy Hook, and, and Jim Petzl did a whole book, Nobody Died at Sandy Hook. And then you had the Boston Marathon, and also did another book, Nobody Died There. So that was around 2012. That was the big change when they realised they could use actors and dummies. Um, as long as people are sufficiently frightened, you can use... Uh, this sort of phantom terror technique of of, uh, of just using um, a sort of travelling troupe of um, actors who are able to fabricate these events. That's what Oli Damagard reckons, that they, a, a travelling terror troupe, like he says, a Rocky Horror show on steroids that goes around doing these events. Uh, and um, it, it benefits the military. You know, the military want people to be frightened of the enemy uh, and the, the, the far right or the right wing element of government, that's the military industrial complex, they do want you to be frightened of the enemy. And uh, so they promote these kind of events, I'm sorry to say. 
the, the, the Boston Marathon bombing, didn't I interview a bloke years ago who admitted to being a crisis actor? All in, right, yeah. And he even had an IMDb uh, entry on the Internet Movie Database. I interviewed a guy, my memory is not what it used to be, but I interviewed yeah. this guy seven, eight years ago on this yeah. program. And I turned him inside out, you know, I tried to disprove him, but he, he seemed to be genuine. He said, yeah, I've worked as a crisis actor. I found, I found it very interesting, the, the, because the Boston Marathon bombing, you don't have to be Lieutenant Colombo, do you, to realise there's something incredibly wrong with that whole picture. I mean, very, yeah. very wrong. That, that's about the most, would you say it's about the most badly executed one, one well, Nick, I if, realize, if you think about uh, it? Well, I realise, Richie, that the trouble of using fake blood, because yeah. blood is bright red to start with, and then it goes a dull brown colour soon after. Uh, and, and so you can't really simulate it. And that is, I think, obviously went very glaringly wrong with the Boston Marathon. Uh, and um, they don't use fake blood so much any, 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 anymore. Um, uh, and I think with this, the Manchester event, they were very careful to use blurred, low-resolution low film, grainy low-resolution of that atrium with the people lying on the floor. Um, so you, you couldn't see much detail, you know. Yeah. For listeners who are, again, new to, to this whole concept, it's not a subject that's come up a lot in the last year or so. It has come up, but not so much because we've been heavily focused on COVID vaccine injuries yeah. and the nonsense, um, yeah. the, the entire, the, the whole scam itself going back to 2020. But um, for listeners who, who maybe don't know what my position on it is, my position is quite simple. I believe that it has been proven time and again that the intelligence agencies of Western democracies have murdered their own people. It's, it's, it's absolutely abominable. Most people can't get their heads around this. But right. they have murdered and, and their watch, own... Watch the film V for Vendetta if you want watch. to mull over that difficult question, what, what, what Richard has just said. Why would they do yeah. it? Absolutely. They, they do do it. They do it to change public opinion. Um, David Icke used to call it problem, reaction, solution many years ago. Yeah, right. They create this problem. It terrifies people because it is horrifying. It's horrifying to think that, you know, a load of kids went to see Ariana Grande and, um, and, they, were, and they were butchered. It's a horrifying thing to imagine. Whatever happened there, I don't know what happened there. My money is on some people were hurt, but, but I don't know that to be true. But, the, but, but, but they, they do these events and they do it to change public opinion. Nick, you will not be aware of this, or maybe you will be aware of it. I attended the very first concert that took place after the arena opened. Would you believe Oh, that? yeah, right, yeah. I went to see Neil Diamond. Oh, wonderful, yeah. Neil was there, Song Song Blue, Sweet Caroline, Marvellous, right? Fantastic. Oh, awesome. Wow, what you, a memory. What a memory. Do you know what happened, though? Um, we got in there, and for the very first time in my concert-going life, we were exposed to air, airport-style screening. And that has remained not only at Manchester Arena, but at most of the big venues to this right. very day. So that was a win for people who wanted to make the concert-going experience a little bit less enjoyable because we had to go through uh, <laughs> scanning machines. We had people screaming at us. People had to take their shoes off. And that has largely remained. If you go to the arena today or the new arena they're building over at Man City's ground, the security is incredible. You're treated like you're treated like a bit of a scumbag, really. You've paid 100 quid to go and see a concert. And they're telling you to get in line, they're screaming at you, Bloody go hell, through yeah, the right. scanner, you know. So, so, so when people ponder, why would they do these things? Because they change society, don't they? Yeah, 
Yeah. It benefit the people who benefit most are the people who organize it. The, the security services, I mean corrupt elements within the security services and the military intelligence they get the increase in salary and you know able to get more of their horrible security technology uh, into our society uh, after doing these events so that's why they do them yeah let me read a few more comments then before we part company today terror on the tube.co.uk you will find links to the books uh, to nick's own books do read his latest book about false flag terror in europe do read that but um, you'll do a lot worse than picking up terror on the tube which I, I still have my copy, which you autographed for me in, in London years ago, huh? by the way. All right. I still have it. Oh, yeah. Pride of place, pride of place. Oh, this, this from Anne. Exactly. Uh, Richard D. Hall is risking his life, she says, doing the job that a lot of journalists won't do. It doesn't make him bad, doesn't make him a lawyer. In the accounting business, says Anne, there is a thing called qualified by experience. You see, this is how the mainstream media should be. We're getting um, a proper... Uh, balance of opinions today. John says he's disappointed uh, in me, I think. He's disappointed in me, I think, um, for having a go at you. I'm not. I'm asking Nick questions. It's a debate. It's a conversation. Don't be disappointed. Nick Collister is hardly disappointed. He's well, able to, he's well able to speak for himself. James says, what does Andy Burnham have in common with Salman Abedi? And then James says, Tony Blair. I don't get that, but it might be a gag there somewhere. This one is from Peter. Uh, Peter has watched Richard D. Hall's videos and Richard makes a compelling case, he says. So that's um, uh, Peter. Thanks, Peter. Right. Appreciate that. Pamela says, also, JFK was assassinated on November 22nd, says Pamela. Right, there you go, right, yeah. Which adds That's 2211, 2211, yeah. 2211, as the Americans would say it, that's right. Or 1122, they would say. Um, uh, and Ian came back to say, a true understanding of the world and how it works would be indistinguishable from insanity, says Ian. <laughs> if you truly understood what's going on. And do you think, Nick, I'm going to give you the final word. I mean, whatever went on in Manchester, we know yeah. that the official story is nonsense. Yeah. We, we can argue over whether people died or didn't. You don't think so. I do. I don't have any superior knowledge than you. I do not. It's just what I feel based on what I have seen. But do you feel that? Because it seems to be a while since something like this has happened. So yeah. w would that lead you to think that we, we should keep our eyes open, that maybe something might be about to go down sometime this year, maybe? Well, it's been a key characteristic of this new century. Start with 9-11, this ghastly new art form straight from hell of state fabric terror, whereby the innocent third party is blamed and the actual perpetrators remain hidden. Uh, and we've had massive, complicated fabricated events which climaxed with this... Uh, Manchester bombing. After that, we had something a bit similar. We had the Scripple event in, in Salisbury. Two people allegedly died from this Novichok, and the blame gets projected onto Russia. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so that's a fabricated enemy, and that that worked quite well. In fact, it worked very well. It could be repeated. And another guy, Navalny, gets um, allegedly done with Novichok, and again blamed on Russia. So. So it, it, it always seems to work. It works because, not because it's terribly correct. It works because the media totally believe it. They the sell media it, don't totally they? endorse it. They sell it. That's why it works. And yeah. it appeals to the very lowest, worst um, emotions of, of hate, hate and fear. And that's why it's so important for us to deconstruct these if we ever want to have a culture worth living in. 
uh, and uh, they collectively say we don't need the enemy we don't need your war uh, and if we have got an enemy it's within the own intelligence services fabricating these uh, ghastly events yeah I, I won't try to follow that because i agree with it <laughs> I, I i've got to take back something i said i said the boston marathon story was the most laughable. It wasn't. I was wrong. It was the scripples, wasn't it? I mean, if you can get people to believe that the FSB would rub some Novichok on the door handle of a house and hope for the best that Sergei Skripal would, would, um, would open the door and would then die. And if you believe that those same agents had the Novichok in a perfume bottle and yeah. they threw it into a dumpster... And it was yeah. found by a homeless guy who <laughs> gave it to his girlfriend. If you can convince people of that, Nick Collerstrom, you can convince them of anything, right? Yeah, it's such a crappy narrative. Yeah. Uh, and why don't we have any media, any journalists that will <laughs> take it apart? We and, do, and Nick. We have me. That's what journalists are supposed me. to do. We have me. We have Tony Gosling. We have others. But we're not on the BBC, are we, Nick? Well, well there you go. Well, that's it. There are people. I mean, you've, you've been extolling the virtues of Richard. So Richard is doing it. And um, we talk about it on this programme. There are people doing it in Ireland. But the problem is, we might have a lot of listeners, and we do, but we're not the BBC, Nick. We don't have access to that level of, you know, sophisticated technology. We don't have access to those types of audiences. We don't, no, right, right. I mean, look what's happened to David Icke. Poor chap. He's not only had all his videos and YouTubes taken down, he's been banned now from visiting any European country. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, it's incredible censorship. Somebody who's very popular, he's, the mo he's actually the most popular speaker in the world at the moment, or he would be if he's allowed to go. Might um, say so, yeah, yeah. And well, don't, you, don't you agree? Oh, it's I mean, outrageous. Are, it's outrageous that you, it's outrageous that you and me, that they can tell you, if you live in France, they can say, we're going to protect you from David Icke. It's <laughs> outrageous. Of well, it course, is, it's yeah. outrageous. It is. I mean, there's no, there's correct, there's no occasion where the talks he gives have led to any violence or disturbance. No, he's there? a man of peace. He's a man of uh, he preaches Absolutely, love yeah. and tolerance. Yeah, not, and... There's no event of his that's caused a disturbance. Never. And yet they just ban him. They think they can ban him, um, uh, and just because well, they he's got away obviously with very popular. Um, I'm not very complimentary what he says about the authorities, but <laughs> there no. You go. Tell me this um, before uh, we go. It's terroronthetube.co.uk. Is there another book in the offing? What are you doing at the moment? Um, well, actually, I did have an early book about St. Fabio Terror. The very first British St. Fabio Terror, Richie, was um, the Gunpowder Plot. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and I, I did one about the, uh, never, the, I never bar, read that. the Bard and the Gunpowder Plot um, the, on the four. Four, last year was the 400th anniversary of the... Um, That's right. Well, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm digressing a bit. but um, No, no, it's good. But th that was my recent book, The Bard and the Gunpowder Plot, uh, and uh, it looked at the idea of the concealed identity of Shakespeare and, and also um, how the gunpowder plot was fabricated. Yeah. Huh. Listen, As you asked, Richie. That's, I did that's ask. That's one thing I did just recently, yeah. Yeah, and terrorontheTube.co.uk. Good to have you back on. Really appreciate it. Um, good debate that. We we, we we know they they do do these things. They um, and I I believe there was definitely intelligence. Uh, the, the, that that was a deep state operation. I think on on the twenty second of of May twenty seventeen. Yeah. But, but um, you know. Too right, Richard. Yeah, too right. 
There's something very wrong with it. We, we, yeah. we should do. I don't know. We're, we're, maybe, maybe, maybe not this year. We might, we might save it for next year. I mean, we might. I'm sure we'll talk before then. But we might save it for next year. We'll do a 20th anniversary of 2005 and go over that again because yeah, that's so important. Precious. It's so important that you know. I mean, good God! I mean, that is the the work you did on that. Is well, the British stellar. people never people in London. London never had a proper inquiry about it. No, they were never allowed to discuss what happened. They just weren't allowed to. Um, I mean, the nearest you get to a discussion is at the end of a Daily Mail article, or whatever. You get people commenting. Comments are allowed, uh, you know, uh, and that's the only place where, where you see you hear the views of the people of London, uh, and it's you know it's very shameful. If I could yeah. play one clip for the entire UK tonight to make them watch it during during the ad break during Coronation Street, Nick. If I could play one clip for them, it would, uh -huh. be, it would be Peter Power speaking to ITN News on the night when he said, isn't it amazing? We were, we were running a drill in exactly <laughs> the same stations, imagining the exact same scenario. Isn't what an amazing coincidence? That's not amazing. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, when you see that clip, it's, it's almost nauseating to watch it and to see how the ITN presenter yeah, doesn't yeah. Um, doesn't get him to expand. He yeah. just he just moves on. Right. Well, the drill is such an important concept. I mean, the whole Manchester Arena yeah. thing. There, there was a drill. It was the previous March, wasn't it? They had a big simulated terror thing in the Manchester Arena uh, with. Um, I can't remember all the details, but it, it no, was they the did. Previous, they, they ran a drill year. with the company. They did imagining yeah. a scenario where. Where yeah. something would happen, of course they did. And like you said, it seems to be synonymous with so many of these attacks over the years. But look, I've got to read three or four more comments. I'm out, I'm out of the programme in four minutes. It's nearly uh, six o'clock. Great to have you back on the programme. Yeah, uh, pleasure. pleasure. No, yeah. pleasure was mine. Thanks for reaching out to, uh, to make the case. It's good. It's good. And, uh, I, and I greatly appreciate it. TerrorontheTube.co.uk um, Let's talk again. Um, let's not leave it as long as we did. Uh, this time, let's talk again in a couple of months' time, Nick. Good to have you back. Okay, okay, mate. Cheers. And bye for now. Nick Collarstrom, academic, researcher, author, uh, talking uh, about the Manchester Arena, Arena bombing, what did and what didn't happen. And, of course, the Richard D. Hall case. Appreciate, Nick. Thanks uh, to Nick for coming on today. That's nearly it, as I said, for the programme. Um, but there are some comments I want to read before I get out. And there's something I need to tell you, by the way, because it's going to be a bit of a um, topsy-turvy week. I'm not with you tomorrow. And the reason I'm not is because an engineer is coming over from Hull uh, to work on the desk. There's a few things need doing on the desk and it's going to be all afternoon tomorrow. But I'm going to be on with you on Friday in the afternoon to make up for it, right? So it's going to be a crazy day Friday. So I won't be, I, I will do the papers tomorrow. There will be a podcast tomorrow morning. But then you won't hear from me then until Wednesday morning. So I won't be on tomorrow at this time. Apologies. Nothing I can do about it. Uh, essential work needs to be done on the broadcast console here in the studio, which is uh, very specific. It's very specialised work. And uh, it's only a company in Hull that can do it. So there's a guy coming over to do it tomorrow. Jenny says, I don't think the Skripal's saga worked, she says. Twas farcical. <laughs> oh, I remember reading it. I remember that day when all the broadcast media, when all the broadcasters went live to, to Salisbury, when they started to tell this bullshit story about Novichok being daubed, daubed on the door handle of the Scripples' house. What a load of bollocks. 
that anybody would attempt to kill somebody like that. Preposterous. Preposterous that the Russian agents had the Novichok in a in a jewellery bottle, in a perfume bottle, and then chucked the remains of it into a dumpster, only to be picked up by a chap who uh, was homeless, God love him, and then he gave it to his girlfriend. I mean, really? But people believed it. People believed it, didn't they? People believed it. Anyway, people did believe it, that's the thing. People believed it. I, I, I'm going to keep saying it out loud because I can't get over it. People actually believed it. Hi to Jan. Number 22, says Jan, is considered a master number and a master architect. I've heard something similar. I, I can't remember those early books I read that David wrote years ago. Uh, Peter says, going back to the topic earlier, Richie, about Ofcom and the online harms bill and how the powers that be came after the Richie Allen show a few years ago, to do with the so-called anti-Semitism for having someone controversial on the show. That's like coming after Terry Wogan for having David Icke on the show in 1991 for speaking about lizard people and promoting the content. An inverted world, as the great man said, that's right, and that's what they are doing. They are training people, they are programming people to accept a world where you could be punished for simply minding your own business. Who else was in the room when that gentleman, not gentleman, who else was in the room when that racist said something terrible about black people? Who else was in the room? And then they could do you for not speaking up. You mightn't have heard. You mightn't have heard the racist comment in the room. It might have been a conversation that had nothing to do with you. You might have looked at the guy who said the racist thing and he might be seven foot tall and five feet wide and you might think, well... What a scumbag. I can't say anything. He'll fucking dig the head off me. No, there'll be no nuance. No nuance. You are a racist. Or you are a bigot. You are a homophobe. Because you didn't say anything. That's where they are going. They're doing it in schools. A mum sent me a letter with an email. School asking for permission for two of her kids who are in different years in school to go and be an ally. An ally. What the fuck does that mean? To be an ally. Do you know, to participate in the lived experience of the gay student. Fuck the gay student. I'm not interested in whether he's gay or straight or bisexual or queer or bent or one of these other fucking phrases they have. I'm only interested in, and I've said this too many times, is he nice? He is, is he? Great. I'll, I'm, I'll, I'll pal around with him. I don't care what, who he goes to bed with or who he fantasizes. I couldn't give a fuck. And that's the same for most people. And they're asking kids to be allies. Silence is violence. You will not be allowed to keep your counsel. Do you remember me banging on about this over the years? I've been warning about this. That's why I tell people, if you can, delete your Twitter feed. And then somebody said to me, you can't, Richie. It's suspicious. So you've got to carefully delete stuff that you might have said over the years. But if you delete all of it, they'll think you're some crazy, bigoted, racist person and you won't get the job in any case. Got to do a programme on this. We've got to do a programme on this. Uh, thank you so much to uh, Nick Connerstrom. Nice to meet, meet, meet Nick again after all these years. It's been several years. You uh, can find him on terrorontheTube.co.uk. 
Goodbye.